We're now entering our, as the kids pointed out in the uh, Bearer of Light and Tradition reading this morning, that we're entering our study period of the Jewish and Christian heritage part of Unitarian Universalism. Um, those of you who are here uh, regularly know that we kind of cycle through our uh, principles and sources in trying to keep our topics of study in line with what the kids are studying in their classes as well. Um, at worship committee the other night, someone brought up the question of why we put so much less stress on the Jewish part of our roots and than we do on the Christian part here in you know our, our studies and talks and things like that. And the way I responded was that Unitarian and universe, Unitarianism and Universalism were both rooted and sprouted from Christian movements. Christianity was rooted and sprouted from Judaism, but that's our only direct connection to Judaism. So the filters that we have for our, our, our Jewish heritage came through Christianity on the way here. Another reason as regards my own limitations is that I have very little experience with the Jewish faith and traditions, uh, you know, personally. So anything I would bring, I would be teaching from a much shallower well of information. We do have Rabbi Jonah DiBenedetti come speak here regularly uh, uh, from B'nai Zion. We have and do interact with and learn from the cantor Neil Schwartz at Aguda Akim. Uh, a number of us from All Souls join forces for a multi-faith prayer gathering under the Texas Street Bridge once a month, which has Jewish representation always. It was started by the rabbi. Um, we also uh, get together on justice matters uh, with the Jewish community for Holocaust remembrance and other justice members and the World Religion Day celebrations at which incidentally one can learn a great deal about Judaism from Jewish teachers and religious leaders if you come and participate. Um, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Some of you know a great deal about my spiritual journeys, and my journey, and others don't know a thing at all. Um, I'd like to share a little of it this morning as a setup for where I come from as I uh, offer the next few weeks in our Jewish and Christian heritage study. My father was a lay minister who went on mission trips that I imagine to be going uh, to other parts of the country and knocking on doors to tell people things that he thought would make uh, all the difference in the world in their lives. Um, he was a soft-spoken man. He was not a pushy individual. 
He had an active sense of humor and gave an uncommonly, uncommonly large portion of his own income to those who were in need, more so than I ever imagined. Um, he worked on a principle articulated in an old 1954 movie starring Jane Wyman and Rock Hudson, The Magnificent Obsession. Is, has anybody ever watched that old flick? Uh, the bottom, well, it's also echoed in Christian scripture in Matthew 6, 3, which trans, the Phillips translation says is, uh, so when you do good to other people, don't hire a trumpeter to go in front of you, like those posers in the synagogues and streets who, who make sure that men admire them for all the kind things they do. Believe me, they have all their reward, all the reward they're going to get. No, when you give to charity, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be secret and your father who knows all secrets will reward you. But basically it amounts to when you do kindnesses and acts of charity, don't let anybody know. Anybody. And the experience that will ultimately bring come to you from that is so much more vast than any satisfaction you might get out of doing something good for somebody and then sharing it with somebody. After my father passed away, which uh, I began hearing tales from some of the people he helped that I never knew. You know, he was very involved in his church. He was a deacon in a Baptist church, um, and he did these mission trips, and I knew that he helped his own family some. But even now, 30 years later, I find out about generous and sometimes courageous things he did and never told anybody about. Not even my mother. He was living his faith by going the extra mile. He lived doing unto others as he would have them do unto him the best way he possibly knew how to do. So my experience of him, his religious tradition, and the value of his convictions were not reasons for me to leave the church and go on my own journey. I know that's not the case for a lot of people. But my roots gave me a whole, my, the deepest part of my roots gave me a whole lot of reason to trust the tradition in which I grew up. The things that set me on my journey of independence seeking came from others, outside sources at first. Like friends with whom I expanded my consciousness. <laughs> in that early 70s sort of way <laughs> who asked questions about God that had never occurred to me 
I wasn't one of those incredibly bright people that just, you know, started dismantling all the theology and stuff at an early age. It took stepping outside of myself to begin to consider some of these things. And it was friends, you know, that I partied with that, that first started me thinking and wondering about some of that. As a child, I had joined the church at six years old. I had made a profession of faith. And I, before I was seven, at some point, out on my swing set in the backyard, I saw a, a shape of clouds that looked all the world to me like Jesus standing there with his arms open. Now, I knew they were clouds. But in that moment, I got a real sense that I'm okay with God. No matter what, I'm okay. And that is certainly not the lesson I got from a lot of other places. But, um, whoever and however I was, was okay. That was a profound experience for me, and strictly, you know, so the equations of logic and reason and stuff that ma the mathematical formulas and, uh, and philosophical dissection of theological ideas didn't hold more weight for me than my own experience. Okay. Still there were other people in authority in the church as I got older who were singling out to who, who was singling me out to lecture in front of groups uh, for my orientation. That part just made me mad. It was when a person on the staff actively began driving people away that I had intentionally invited because they needed some place to be. They were people that were hurting and lonely and needed some place to be. And I had invited them in, but maybe they had bad habits. And this particular person in leadership decided they did not represent a good example to set before the younger kids in the church and wouldn't let them participate. There were things that came after that that were even more serious um, by uh, calling families that they didn't know, which ended up causing kids to suffer at the hands of uh, abusive parents because the authority trusted the parents more than the kid and didn't go to the kid directly. Uh, that's 
when I left the church. <clears throat> Somehow, this individual's uh, misguided and harmful actions all of a sudden carried more gravity for me than all the love and integrity that my father had. Away from the church, I started trying to understand why anyone would think these people weren't good enough to be there. I began to hang out with people I knew my parents didn't trust. My mother had always told people, if you want Barbara to do something, tell her not to. <laughs> so I started living that out in capital letters. But even then, I thought my calling was to help people, to be there for those who were hurting, uh, and to stand with the disenfranchised and try to hold up the fact that their life and feelings were as important and valuable as anybody else's. Um, it was actually during my studies at Centenary, I was doing comparative religion um, as my undergraduate degree, and uh, it was then that I began well, this was several years after I quit drinking and doing dope of all sorts. Um, that I came to define a corner theologically that I couldn't get out of. I ran headlong into this dilemma I couldn't, you know, I couldn't reconcile, and it seemed to me and I've, I've not had occasion to debate this with uh, people who would still hold tight, very different views than mine um, of Christian teachings. But the idea occurred to me that I had been taught God gave the life of God's Son to pay God and reconcile, make things right for what God's creations had done. That was really hard for me. I mean, we did, we did surveys of New Testament and Old Testament where we studied the source documents and the different timing and all this stuff that made a lot of the magic fall away from the uh, creation of the canon and the different versions of, of information that one can encounter um, in reading the text. Um, but all of that was informative to me. It was, it was running into these puzzles that, that really sent me. That and a book by Mary Daly, Beyond God the Father, in which she insisted that in order to find what your faith is, you have to throw away everything that was given you and start from scratch. 
And so that's what I tried to do. But because of my personal experiences, there were pieces of faith I couldn't get rid of. The journey has led me a lot of places in a very meandering path to get from leaving the church of my family to coming to the Unitarian Universalist Church. And all along that journey, it was informed by amazing, generous, insightful, and engaged individuals of faiths that didn't have anything to do with Christianity as well as Christians. It was those kinds of things that led me to want to understand a little bit more about other traditions and to understand a whole lot better the tradition out of which I came. All of that has brought me to the place I am now. And now... I am re-engaging with language and general concepts and ideas and literature from the Christian tradition, albeit with an entirely, absolutely different understanding than what I had when I was being taught those ideas to begin with. I find the ideas that are that I'm encountering now to be absolutely resonant with Unitarianism and Universalism, or Unitarian Universalism, rather, I should say. Maybe not the individual text, but this faith tradition. Some other churches, not Unitarian Universalist, are growing in their capacity for inclusion and acceptance. It's, a, it's, a, it's an alive movement in other traditions. They are living traditions also. We were talking about that this morning in our adult education class. Unitarian Universalism is too. You know, we've done all of our white privilege, white supremacy studies this year and, and, and begun to uh, uncover ways we thought we were inclusive, but we haven't been. I invite you to challenge yourself a bit. I want to lift up some of these new reframings for you to consider or look at. And I invite you to come with me on this journey and let's give a new look at an old path. If we let our orientation to that information stay stagnant from decades gone by, we're evaluating something current and alive by something that is dead and frozen in our own heads. And that's not a fair measurement. So, 
if it's part of your personal background and if it is an uncomfortable part, I encourage you to come and take a chance at moving beyond where you may have been mired. Growth means change, and holding on to old ideas, perspectives, and conclusions is spiritually fatal. If it's not a part of your tradition or your background, then I invite you to come learn a little bit about some of the ideas that aren't awful. They're not monsters that we have to fight against. Let's give ourselves a little room to ruminate. Let's take a little time to celebrate our roots and revisit what potentially valuable things may have been tossed out with the rubbish. I'm going to be talking about some of these for each of the next uh, three or four weeks, but, but not, not Thanksgiving week. We'll do our, our Thanksgiving services always that week. And I really do hope you'll come be part of this. <laughs>